You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, it's July 9th, 2018. You're listening to episode 319. My name is Rob. Jason is sitting here with me. Hello again, sir. Hello. Hello. And uh, builders who uh, listen to the show, you can probably hear some background noise. And I think you guys probably know what that means. That means we've got our janky uh, Skype recording set up through Jason's <laughs> phone with his phone held up to a microphone stacked on top of two game boxes. Yes. And that means we've got a special guest. It does. It means we've got a special guest. We've got a guest here who we only just met for the first time recently, but very, very excited to have her on the line. And uh, uh, and I have some things I want to ask her about. So I'm, I'm not going to... I'm, I'm going to introduce a few things, but then I'm going to get to my main question here first. Oh, gosh. We have on the line here, we have, we have Carol Mertz. Hi, Carol. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm fantastic. And how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Good. I, I now I want to ask you about your game, Pass the Buck. I also really want to ask you about Smugglecraft. Okay. But before that, I have to ask you, and and this is amazing to me. What's it like having a Twitter handle that's just your actual name? It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> like people know who I am. <laughs> they they see me on Twitter and then they see me in real life and they remember my name. Yeah. Like, who would imagine that sort of thing happening? That's so it's, strange to me. Yeah. Do you not use your... No, like, no, mine is mine is poorly underscore designed. And <laughs> and at some point after a couple of years of having that, I was like, you know, I should just switch to my real name. And then I tried to find Robert Couch or Rob Couch. There are, surprise, a lot of Robert Couches in the world. Right. And every possible variation of that name on Twitter that I could think of has been taken. And for myself, I use J.A. Slingerland, which are my, my first two initials and my last name, because Jason Slingerland doesn't fit, because yeah. it's too damn long. Yeah. So, yeah. I had a webcomic that I had to trim for that purpose, but I will say, there are a lot of Carol Mertzes, but I'm really lucky because I'm the only one who's younger than, like, 60, <laughs> so that means that I'm always, like, the first to get to my username on pretty much any platform, so that's the, that's the nice thing. Yeah, congratulations. Fantastic. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> So you you are a game designer. You are kind of a game artist in general. Yeah, I'm, I call myself a multidisciplinary game designer. So okay. I work in uh, tabletop, digital, and experimental game design of all sorts, all shapes and sizes. Okay, okay. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it sounds thrilling. Multiple <laughs> um, multiple disciplinary sounds fantastic. Yeah, like that's fancy. Yeah. That's yeah. fancy. Yeah, lots of fingers and lots of pots. I do some coding and writing and designing and, and you know, fabrication of weird, strange shark controllers and things like that. So I, I don't really know how better to describe it than multidisciplinary, frankly. Well, cool. So, so, so tell, tell us about Pass the Buck. So Pass the Buck is my published card game. It is, uh, it's, it's called, the full length is Pass the Buck, a game of corporate responsibility management. Hold for laughter. Sounds thrilling, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was, uh, it's a corporate satire hand management and bluffing game. 
So you can imagine it's based a lot on like bad corporate culture, like uh-huh. just kind of poking holes in the common issues in corporate America where people are like, no, that's not my job. That's this guy's job. No, that's not my job. That's this woman's job. No, that's actually my job. But I'm out of the office today, so sorry. So, like, it's just trying to, like, capture that feeling in card game form. Um, because if I if I didn't do that, then I would have had to deal with it in real life. And <laughs> yeah, I, I much prefer, like, codifying that and turning it into a playful system than otherwise. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, that's that doesn't sound fun to me at all. That sounds like what I do every day at work and, and have to deal with. Um, I mean, it's loaded with, like, over 100 <laughs> jokes about corporate America, so, like, hopefully you can find some joy in it, because uh, I, I made it for catharsis. Like, sure. <laughs> I, I knew that if I, didn't, if I didn't make fun of it, then I'd just have to deal with it, and so the hope was that other people could make fun of it through my joke, gotcha. and therefore, you know, deal with it less on their own. <laughs> yeah, understood. Well, we're, we're both big fans of bluffing games in general. Right, right. Yeah. And I think I think there's a lot of synergy there. So uh-huh. you know, that's see, she got it. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yes, we are. We are both synergize on this podcast. Yeah, we are both corporate fellows in our in our daily day jobs. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 Jason's all about the horizontals. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say Jason's all about the horizontals and the verticals and the Kanban board. Or Kanban board, and I'm uh, honestly not sure which one it is. Yeah. I, people pronounce it both ways, so I just don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I never said I like any of those things, but I deal with them wow, all. You in eat my it up, job. though, man. You eat it up. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's whatever. It it has been compared though to like corporate coup, which is oh, pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah good comparison. It's like one of my favorite one of my favorite card games. But yeah, nice. so I should I should make sure y'all get a chance to play it. You'd probably get a kick out of it. Nice. Even if you don't necessarily enjoy it. <laughs> I, I play games with my team at work. That sounds like a fantastic exercise yeah, it for does. us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so I also, I, I'm really, really eager to ask you about Smugglecraft. I, I saw that on your website uh, when we were setting up this interview. And uh, uh, and so I, I found it on Steam. And, uh, and it's... It, I, it was it's super different right like i've played a lot of, well t- explain what it is before i get into it right <clears throat> so smugglecraft is a game that i worked on with my old studio happy badger studio um and they're still around but i i took off to go like chase other other game projects so when we were working on smugglecraft it's the idea was to make a quest-based hovercraft racing game that actually had narrative and like made people really want to want to play and want to find out more about the world and um, want to play over and over again. So it's actually a randomly generated quest-based hovercraft racing game. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of things. It's it's really interesting though because it's like the hovercraft mechanics are really fun, and um, the world is kind of based around at the time when we were writing it in like 2015. It was like this horrible like dystopian future reality on this alternate planet and now it's like really mirrors this current horrible dystopian (laughs) existing reality yeah um so the you know the idea is that you're a smuggler 
um, who actually holds a lot of power, like in a lot of societies where there's like this authoritarian uh, regime that's happening, like, and they're they're suppressing the distribution of information and distribution of um, of goods and materials and resources and things like that. A lot of times, the people with the transportation are the ones that hold a lot of power in like the lower subcultures, um, and so you play that smuggler or part of the smuggler, you know, group. And um, so you get to basically decide how, like, what quests you do and what projects you do in order to um, figure out who winds up holding the political power in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's a heavily political, randomly generated quest. Yeah. Ever craft racing game. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is a, it's a really interesting project, and I had a lot of fun working on it. Yeah, it, it's neat. It, it, um, so I, I'm kind of... I, well, long-time listeners to the show know that I'm predisposed to like games about hover racing. Um, oh, cool. It, there's there's a there's a history there that I I, I don't have time to get into right now. <laughs> um, but uh, but so as soon as I, I realized that I was like, oh well, I got to buy this now. I got to check it out. And and it's yeah. And I you say randomly generated. I guess is is procedurally generated probably the, yes. the better way to put yeah. that. Okay. Um, I just didn't want to use a lot of. <laughs> Like video game terms on a board game. Podcast. We actually oh, cool. know that one. That's like one we know. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and and that was neat. And, like so, I, I think I, I I turned it on. I said, well, let me put it on easy for this first time here, uh, and uh, and played through it once. And and just I think like within two races, I was so horribly in debt and into loan sharks and things that oh, and no. they were just they were sending bad guys yeah. after me, and I just had no idea what to do. People were just ramming into me while I was trying to. Tow this thing across this weird landscape. Um, that does sound and, like America. And, yeah, and I, mean, <laughs> and I was just like right? so confused and and so so lost and not didn't know what was going on. But I was like, I I, I have no idea what just happened, but I got to play this again right now. Right? <laughs> it was it was one of those well, those sorts of experiences, and I really really enjoyed it. So um, okay. so kudos to kudos to you and kudos to the team that you worked with on that. It was it was really yeah. really something different and unique and interesting. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. It was it was. Uh, like I mean, it was our first um, console game, so like mm-hmm. it's also out for PlayStation Four, um, and it it was just like such an interesting way to kind of like foray into bigger game projects. Before that, we'd always just done smaller digital games, like pocket games and web games and things like that. And it was just it was kind of fun coming up with ways that we could make something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had a lot of fun researching like horrifying political landscapes and coming up with a world and inventing religions and (laughs) creating all of these characters. It was a lot of fun for me to work on. Yeah. Cool. And and I also have to say, I really dug the art style too. There's the kind of the, the, yeah, the, like the, I don't know if flat shaded is the right term, but very polygonal uh, design and shapes and things, which I really dig a lot. Yeah. We call it low poly. Low poly. Yeah. Vigi games industry. Yeah. There you go. Um. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, you had an interesting topic that you wanted to bring to uh, tonight to to discuss. Yeah. So um, I am really inspired by the idea of emotion first game design. So like the two common threads of the two games that we just talked about were like inspired by these feelings that I was having and I wanted to deal with and like put them out into the world in a uh, kind of tangible, cathartic way where, you know, with Pass the Buck, I was dealing with a lot of frustration 
with corporate America, and I wanted to figure out how to communicate that frustration through a game system. And with Smugglecraft, I was, you know, a little bit scared about the tumultuous political landscape at the time, and really was using that as fodder for how to, like, express my feelings about the situation and try to help other people kind of understand the feelings that people might be having about, um, about kind of, like, political discomfort. And mm-hmm. so... Um, one of my one of my kind of design cornerstones is to take those big emotions and even the small emotions that I have and try to figure out how to codify that and turn it into a system and turn it into a more of a tangible experience for other people to share. Um, because I feel like there's not really that much of that in a lot of games um, where it's it's all about the levels and the points and the collection and there's not that much thought into you know, what is my player actually going to feel when they're doing this other than, yay, I earned the thing or yay, I did the thing. It's like, what's sure. the process to, um, like, how, how can we design and how can we think about how our players are going to actually experience a game, actually experience, like, the meaning behind a game, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious what you all think about that and if you've played any games that might capture that for you. Yeah, well, the first thing I thought of is, is uh, um, several years ago uh, we had uh, Max Temkin from Cards Against Humanity on the on the show, and mm-hmm. and uh, we talked with him about the uh, the I, I don't know what it's called, but the the Holocaust game with the the you know the the, the trains right right, and putting, right. Uh, that's I think it's fairly well known out yeah, there. Just, it's called train. It's just train. Okay, yeah, and and that's yeah, that's Romero's train. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that and I thought that was that was yeah. kind of the first time that I really thought about about games and in, in that kind of that sort of approach that that emotional uh, language to to say that you know it's not it shouldn't just be I mean it's okay sometimes to be that way but the, but there absolutely it can be importance in 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 connecting emotions in that way right. in, in trying trying to ex- expose uh, uh, emotions in in this sort of interactive uh, uh, experience and that's I think it's really difficult right to, at least from I know that a couple times I've thought, oh, you know, I want to make a game that kind of gives you these, these feelings when you play it, right? And and so often the mechanics just get in the way of that, right? Yeah. The uh, the one thing I think that that I felt like that's not the case is suspense, right? If you want to make people feel suspenseful in a game, mm-hmm. that's pretty easy. You just ratchet up the tension, and then hey, but like if you're saying like I want to evoke this emotional response, um, I, I've been working on and off in my head with an idea like that for a few months now where I really want to give somebody this big emotional response to playing the game. Like they feel like they've gone somewhere. Right? Like it was a journey to get through this game. Mm-hmm. But like it's so hard to not have the mechanics get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, but I think that that's the thing is that there are mechanics that can support emotion. But you, you hit it on the head where there's kind of easy emotions to hit. So there's, yeah. there's suspense. There's fear. There's um, uh, like that um, kind of action intense fiero that you get when you're just like shooting aliens in the head nonstop. Um, I'm, there's probably a good word for that that's really obvious, and I just can't think of it right now. But like, there's these kind of like action oriented um, feelings, and like dread is such a good example of a tabletop oh, oh, yeah. game. So good, that so just good. Does does that suspense emotion like? no one had ever done before you know other than jenga itself (laughs) um so for those who don't know dread is a tabletop role-playing game where um 
the instead of dice, instead of rolling dice for decision mechanics, you're pulling bricks in a Jenga tower. And when the Jenga tower falls, whoever pulled the last brick is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And that, that creates this natural, beautiful building suspense throughout the game that like no other tabletop RPG had captured up until that point. It's the single but, most appropriately named game ever. Yes, yeah, <laughs> totally. But recently there was a game that was just on Kickstarter that uses the exact same mechanic, but they use it for sexual tension. Right? So huh. like that's an example where like the same mechanic can actually emulate two different emotions depending on the narrative framework, right? Because huh. you can imagine, like, if it's it's it, the game is about like two lovers having like basically a dialogue about why they can't be together, and then in the end, when the tower falls, that's when they have to like essentially come come to terms with their emotion and like finally be together after all this time. And it's it's you know if you think about it, that's a lot how that sort of situation would play out emotionally. Um, but I think it's a lot of people do feel like it's just too difficult to try to grasp that sort of um, that sort of emotion or like try to generate that sort of emotion through game mechanics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's that is a really interesting twist to because I I would have never thought about that mechanic because it's so linked to me now for as yeah, dread right? right of that having I mean some of the, I think most the probably the best role-playing experience i ever had was was playing dread um and uh and and eventually dying in dread um (laughs) because you know you got the the bad luck of the draw there right and uh um and it was amazing um Mm -hmm. but the the idea that you could flip that around to be about sexual tension like that would have never occurred to me but it's you know i mean i guess you could take the same narrative and if you were gonna um thinking about a game like that dragon cancer um Mm -hmm. the, the video game which I haven't played, but I've heard astounding things about, like turning that into you know uh, a person having having medical issues or something like that, right? And, and using the Jenga tower yeah. for the same thing, right? And when in the same thing, when it falls over, you're done, right? Yeah, um, totally. Like that. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's, so to me, that's an example. Like you were saying that like mechanics can get in the way of emotion, but I think well thought out mechanics really do enhance emotion. That, hmm. in, um, yeah, that's. I think what's hard about that is. That we're we're not used to those mechanics, right? We're not tying them in that right. way, so that's a great point because we Rob, we talk about all the time about mechanics justified by your theme, right? Yeah, right. we're both really mm-hmm. big on that. Right, we just don't make emotional games. Right, <laughs> so yeah, for sure, right. it's not for everybody. I mean, a lot of people make and play games for escapism, and you know, dealing with your emotions, as we know in our society, is not <laughs> not escapism. That's the hard stuff that we're often trying to escape from, and so it's it's definitely not you know, what a, what a lot of people want to spend their time playing or making or whatever. It's just, it's one of my kind of core, you know, cornerstones of making games. Like, I've made a, a lot of uh, small digital games that try to capture, for example, the feeling of being a social introvert or the feeling of being in a long-distance relationship or the feeling of having terrible stage fright and performance anxiety or the feeling of having a lot of people, um, like, expecting you to be someone that you're not and like these are all things that were really eating at me and I wanted to like almost the way that a poet would write or like a songwriter would write a song like I make these little games to try to kind of get that part of myself out in the world 
So is that easier to do digitally then, since you can you can kind of control more of a, a narrative space, uh, um, and and also then in that you more often have just a, a single player as as the focus, and you don't you don't necessarily have to account for multiple people's input. It really, I mean, I do think it depends on the game. I think in some cases it's a little easier. In all those games that I mentioned, they were all very abstract, so I wasn't <laughs> controlling too much of a narrative space. I'm sorry. I live on a very busy street in Brooklyn. It's all right. No your, problem. Your, your cat does not sound like I expected it to. Yeah. We'll throw it I'm sorry. My cat had a lot of milk today. <laughs> and she is just going off the rails. <laughs> yeah, um, I, so those all those games that I mentioned, are while they are single-player digital experiences, they're all very abstracted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that... I don't think that um, it's necessary that a game needs to be digital for it to evoke strong feelings it's just when i said that i'm a multidisciplinary designer mm-hmm. i design for the medium that best suits the outcome that i'm looking for right mm-hmm. so with right. the Buck, i wanted it to be this kind of community atmosphere this community environment where people had to look at each other in the eye and lie to each other and tell them they couldn't do the work when they could because that was my experience in corporate America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with a lot of these more solitary feelings, these solitary emotions, I could have probably tried to explore doing a solitaire game, like a tabletop game, um, but what suited me best at the time was uh, exploring it in a digital, like a small digital realm. Um, but I've also done, I did a different, um, for class actually, I go to the NYU Game Center uh, here in New York City, and... Um, for class, I worked on a three-player political game called Universal Politics, where it was just kind of creating, again, coming back to politics, it was creating this kind of political atmosphere where everybody was trying to win over different uh, different galaxies. Um, and you could filibuster each other, and you could, you know, get in the way of each other, and it was this, um, it was a, a very kind of... Um, kind of dirty feeling game where you were just uh, trying to trying to figure out how to win over certain areas and trying to like screw over everybody else around you, which I don't really like in a lot of games, but I thought that the, the feelings that it created were so interesting that I didn't want to stop working on it. Mm. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, that's an example of another tabletop game that, like, it was just basic card mechanics. It was, we were um, tasked to create a sort of customizable card game. So we were building out what we called campaign trails with different kinds of fuel that would allow us to go to different kinds of galaxies and go campaign in those galaxies. Um, and while you did that, you could also interrupt your other candidate, the other candidates' campaign trails and figure out, like, how to, you know, spread rumors about them and how to, um, you know, talk over them and how to, like, rip their posters off of the walls and things like that, which was just such an interesting um, small-scale recreation of what we see in, um, you know, actual political campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so if you were going to give advice to somebody who who wants to try and try and get more emotional uh, uh, features or get more emotional with their games or try and try and represent those sorts of things. What, what advice would you give somebody? What I always do is I write down before I start writing down mechanics, before I start writing down game rules, before I start even like coming up with a flow chart or anything like that, I write down what I want the player to feel. Like I, like the first thing on any document that I start, like 
brainstorming document is like goal player feelings, goal player emotions. And like I say, I want them to feel um, excited or confused or, you know, like, like write down a sentence that essentially summarizes the, the strange feeling of like, you know, the feeling of being followed in a dark alley. Like how can I recreate that emotion, that sense of, um, uncertainty and dread and like questioning of oneself. Like I have no idea, but that's basically what I would write down first. And then I start writing down things that I think might lead into that feeling might create something similar. And then I just start building off of that. Um, it's not how I do everything, but it's, it's how I like to at least start, um, so that I can give myself a chance to reflect first on the outcome and then work my way toward that. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting way to, to approach that idea. That's completely unlike any any way that I've ever started a design, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of it's kind of kind of exciting, honestly. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like why why Carol is able to do that because you are starting from a different perspective. I mean, I think Rob right. and I a lot of times either start with, "Hey, this theme sounds fun," or, "Hey, I've got this crazy mechanic in my head. How, what yeah. what would that?" what theme do I want that evoke? What, you know, right. and maybe we would say what feeling do I want that evoke, but not nearly in the way you're saying it, which yeah. is. Right. Yeah. And when we were first getting started in this stuff, we, we, we had a lot of conversations about, about theme first or mechanic first. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you, the, the longer we've been doing it, it's really just sort of wherever it comes from is where it right. comes from, you know? Totally. Yeah. But, uh, but that's, that's a, a different perspective on that, that, that really, that I don't think it, first. yeah, it never <laughs> occurred to me. Yeah. I, I really like yeah. that. That's, that's, yeah. it's exciting. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to I'm glad to share some new and interesting approaches to design. Yeah. I mean, and, and that isn't to say that I don't ever start theme first sure. and mechanic first. Also, like there's there's any of a number of ways to design a game, and there's no right way, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just whatever feels good at the time and whatever makes for an interesting project. But you know, I've got all of these I've got all of these things that I just wish I could share with people. Like I always tell people when I was a kid, like. I wanted to invent an empathy machine so that I could force my mom to feel exactly how I feel so that like she could just get me. She could just understand me. And so I think that like in a lot of ways, games are my empathy machine Hmm. where I can try to just make people understand these things that I feel. Um, So that's kind of part of, I think, what drives that mentality and that approach is wanting to share, you know, all of the stuff that's in me. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. That is a that is a really really unique and cool way to look at that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> but now it's time to move on because we need to pitch a game. Hard okay. transition. Boom. Hard transition. Hard transition into <laughs> pitching a game. Now Rob would like you to feel uneasy. <laughs> I made a game about that once. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> So, uh, so we typically uh, ask our, our uh, guests to uh, pitch a game idea, and uh, and we thought it'd be fun here today to to go to one of our old favorites, which is boardgameizer.com, and uh, click click the random idea thing. So, what it's going to do is it's going to give us uh, mechanics, a theme, okay. and a victory okay. condition. Okay. And if we want, we can add a constraint, but we don't have to. Let's do mechanics, theme, and victory condition and see if we can come up with a good emotion. <laughs> All right. that, yes, that's a great idea. Okay. All right. So here we go. All right. This okay. is, so, uh, what this is do, always dicey. What yeah, do we not. want first? Uh, do you want uh, mechanics or theme? Oh, 
Let's go theme. Okay, so the theme, we we have three words here for our theme. It okay. says king, time, and locomotives. Hmm. Okay. The mechanic we have to use is grid movement. Okay. <laughs> and the victory condition is survival. Okay. Ooh. Well, that all works. So, <laughs> grid movement. Yeah, do we want a constraint? And locomotives. Well, well, I think she, she had said, let's, let's see. If oh, yeah, motion first. Motion yeah, to right. The, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. right. <clears throat> oh, man. Yeah, so. So. So, so this is, so, so, uh, King Time Locomotive uh, is theme grid movement survival. So, uh, my first thought is that, uh, that there's some kind of plague sweeping the kingdom. And, uh, to start with emotion, Rob. Well, well, Just throwing out ideas, and, and we're trying to escape the plague. So, so uh, nausea is the emotion. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like you, you want this game to be gross because that's the, when I think of nausea. I, I tend to go gross sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. All right. So nauseated kings in locomotives moving on grids <laughs> and trying to survive. <laughs> They just they're just they just want to survive but they can't stop barfing uh-huh i mean i could also just hit the button for another idea so how are the locomotives being propelled oh don't answer that uh <laughs> i hope they're fueled on barf because that seems really convenient well, i was thinking barf or the other direction right like you yeah can go reverse or you can go forward <laughs> <laughs> So these are some kind of maybe maybe these locomotives are some kind. It's some kind of fantastical world where the locomotives like what's the isn't there like the cat bus or something from a Miyazaki film? From yeah, Totoro. Yeah, Totoro. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So maybe maybe they're like some kind of animal locomotive, like like hybrid of some living thing, and and maybe that's. I have not seen this, and that sounds absolutely horrifying. Yeah, it's it's some. This sounds like it's going to make for a great animation. Yeah, yeah. It's some kind (laughs) of. Some kind of train creature, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's propelled by vomit and shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really terrible. <laughs> and next. <laughs> All right, we'll hit the button again here. What do we got? Uh, next idea. Okay, okay. All right, this is maybe a little better. Okay, maybe we'll see. So the the theme is. Pirates and Trader, like T-R-A-D-E-R. Okay. The mechanic is dice rolling. Okay. And the victory condition is win the most votes. So it's a it's a and like an election or voting game. Sounds like an amalgam okay. of every game Carol described, like all just shoved together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just mission good. hovercrafts. Yep. Uh so we've got pirates and traders. There's like there's clearly like a mutiny afoot. Oh yeah, for sure. And we can't trust anyone. And the traitors are the traitors pirates, and the pirates are traitors. Um. Well, it's I think it will. So it's traitor with a with a D E R. So they're trading right. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. So maybe. Hmm. But everybody's a traitor. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, okay, pirates, right? That's important. Yeah. Right. right. <clears throat> yeah. So, and it's so, a yeah. so an emotion there is is uneasiness of you know not wanting oh. to get you know backstabbed by another pirate, maybe. Yeah. So what if? What if we've all decided that we're done with our captain, and and there's a there's a trading ship in in the port, and we're trying to trade our captain for something else. 
it's like, let's make a deal. Like having to, okay, so here we go. <laughs> having to see the beauty in someone who you loathe. There you go. Yeah. So it's like you're having to convince the traders why this captain who you've just mutinied and taken down from power uh-huh. is worth trading for. I mean, he's a really good guy, right? He was just, <laughs> you know, it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah, I feel like this could be, I mean, like, it doesn't fit into the dice rolling mechanic, but you could definitely do a, like, a storytelling kind of game, or like a Cards Against Humanity style, um, like, convince the, you know, convince the main player who is the traitor for the turn. Yeah. That, like, this is why, this is why my captain should be traded. This is, he's such a good, honest man, but why did you mutiny? Uh, Because he, you know... He on the poop deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if if thinking of dice, thinking of you having to use a dice mechanic in this. What if mm-hmm. what if there was a way to work in liars dice mm-hmm. as the primary because it's pie related. Sure, right? sure. Like, of course, you yeah. know, uh, your luck or something. Well, because the dice wouldn't necessarily have to have numbers on them. They could have words or they could have things about the captain, right? Mm. Um, and if you get called out, you have to reveal what you have, and it has to be the good things you're saying, not the bad traits mm-hmm. that he got, mm-hmm. you know, was getting mm-hmm. mutinied for. Well, yeah, see, here's the thing. So we mutinied against him because he's a total a-hole, right? <laughs> but, right. but you know, in, in it, th- there's a bounty on his head, and the bounty is, yeah. is, you know, so much gold. But if we take him to get in the bounty, then we're all, all we're going to all get hung, uh, hanged as well, right? Because oh, yeah. we're also pirates. But if we trade him <laughs> to the traitor... Then the trader can cash in on the bounty, and you know, and we'll just, you know, it's like it's like a you know four hundred pieces of eight for for his bounty. But tell you what, we'll we'll trade him to you for just like two hundred pieces worth of, worth of goods. This feels a lot like I'm gonna send you a check, Rob, for yeah. like two thousand dollars, and I need you to send me a hundred dollars back. <laughs> I will you gladly keep the nineteen hundred. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> million dollar uh, a two million dollar fund that the prince of an unknown country has left in your name exactly um, yeah pretty sure it's wakanda yeah they're gonna send you a bunch of vibranium it's gonna be great yeah hello yeah hello. there we are okay sorry i cut out for a second okay it's probably better that way it was a bad idea <laughs> you're fine <laughs> um well uh um, yeah so that's so it's probably good for pitching there, I think. Uh, that was fun. That was a fun exercise. <laughs> that was kind of a big fail, honestly. Um, but it was it was a good time, and the listeners enjoyed it. I can tell. I hope so. Um, yeah. The, uh, I can hear oh. that, one, that one person just cackling in the corner quietly. Yeah. That might have been Rob. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 okay, yeah. That's... yeah. Um, but we wanted to give uh, Carol some time uh, here to talk about uh, Pixel Pop. Pixel Pop, yeah. So we should oh, do that yeah. here. Yeah, so uh, Pixel Pop Festival, uh, along with being a multidisciplinary emotions first game designer, uh, I am also the executive director of a game festival in St. Louis, Missouri called Pixel Pop Festival. And it is a, it's an event that is both an expo and a conference that is designed to bring uh, independent digital and tabletop designers together to learn from each other, to play each other's games, to share with each other. And to just, like, overall build community and, like, discover the beauty of independent design. Um, and so this year's Pixel Pop Festival is going to be on July 28th and 29th. 
in St. Louis, and it is going to be just amazing. We just announced the schedule. We have a ton of really incredible design talks. We have uh, Christopher Bedell from uh, Greater Than Games going to be yeah. talking about the multi multidisciplinary design of Sentinels of the Multiverse, just talking about how that went from being a, a tabletop game to an RPG to a video game to a podcast and beyond. And um, we've got a handful of other folks doing like gaming workshops and narrative workshops and um, lots of discussions on how we can be just more conscientious designers things like that and not only that we've got like several dozen really really cool indie games that are going to be showing in the expo so i'm super excited about it and i hope that you all are also and if you'd like to find out more about it you can go to pixelpopfestival.com to check out the schedule and see who all is going to be there and um pre-register so you can come join us in st louis this summer Fantastic. I know we've got uh, quite a few listeners in the St. Louis area, so uh, uh, gentlemen and ladies, you guys should check that out. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun and super informative and just really interesting and inspiring, I think, for everybody who's interested in games. Cool. Sounds Yeah, that sounds awesome. Now yeah. I wish I could go to that. Yeah, we need one of those yeah. in Kalamazoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right well, on. Cool. Yeah, so uh, any other plugs that you want to throw out there? I mean, if you're curious about some of my emotional games, they're all on my website at carolmertz.com. Um, and feel free to check me out on Twitter at carolmertz. As was mentioned, it is just my name. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, I think that's pretty much it. You can also buy Pass the Buck on Amazon.com if you're interested. There you go. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Awesome. Cool. Well, you know, before we met you, Nicole Amato introduced us, and she said... Carol Mertz is super duper awesome and I love her. And uh, yeah, she didn't lie. You were awesome. And this was a great episode. This was a lot of fun. Oh, thank so. you so much. Nicole is one of my favorite people on the planet. She is such an incredible human. If you've sure met is. Nicole, it's hard for her not to be one of your favorite people, right? She's true. pretty true. amazing. Absolutely. I love her so much. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, and uh, builders, thank you all for listening to the show. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, send us an email to buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter. We are at Podcast BTG. Jason is at JA Slingerland, and I am at Poorly underscore Designed. Uh, you can like us in the places and uh, give us the good reviews on the podcast stuff. Um, call our Google Voice number at 770 Tell BTG. Our website is buildinggamepodcast.com. Go there and buy our games. Get a copy of Water Balloon Washout. Go to the Game Crafter, and you can get Treasure Trouble or the Rumple Bum Academy for bug based baking. Or finish it, the Outrageous Storytelling Party Game, of course. Uh, look for Epic Monster Tea Party. Look for Saloon Tycoon. Look for Unreal Estate. And did I get them all, Jason? I think you got all the I games. Got them. Okay, yes. I got all the games. There's enough. Um, and uh, come back next week, and we'll uh, do more of this nonsense. We won't have Carol with us, sadly, but uh, but it'll be us being stupid again. So, Carol, <laughs> one more time, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. And good night. Good night. Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. 
All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game. Yeah, so we're going to record a stupid podcast, and it's going to be stupid. Sounds great. We're super optimistic about our podcast, so... What's that? Rob is super optimistic about us on the podcast. It's nothing to yeah. do with you. He thinks our podcast is stupid every week. So, I mean, aren't most? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's it's be like, realistic. If it's humans talking for any extended period of time, chances are it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right.